Well, it's spooky season, and what is more spooky than ghost stories? Especially around the campfire. We're two girls on a campfire, and I'm Allison. And I'm Sarah. And you might have guessed, we're talking about ghost stories. Woohoo! I am. Have, how's your October been going? Your spooky season, as you put it. Um, it's been okay. I haven't really done a lot. I bought some pumpkins that I have yet to carve. I was yeah. supposed to do it Sunday, and I slept all day instead. So that feels like a much more productive use of your time. <laughs> and then I'm kind of tripping out because school's done in like three and a half weeks or something ridiculous. That's exciting. Not spooky, but exciting. It is spooky. There's so much shit that needs to get done. I'm like, ah! But yeah, so that's what I'm trying to work on. Well, you can do it. I have every faith in you. Thank you. I think it's my turn to go first this week. I think so. So yeah, you've you've got a couple good ones for us, right? I hope so. All right, let's hear it. My first ghost story is the ghost of La Parva Ski Resort. So you might have heard of a similar story. So throughout Latin America, you'll hear variations of the story of La Llorona or the Wailing Woman. Have you seen either of the movies? I'm going to go ahead and say no. (laughs) I don't think I've watched either one. Like they had one that was like, like a huge production and like release. And then the other one was just made for Shudder. But I heard the one on Shudder is better than the other one, but I haven't watched either one. What are the name? What are the names of the movies? La Llorona. Oh, okay. They're both called that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Just making sure <laughs> to make it even worse. Yeah, more complicated. So, she's the wailing woman, and depending on what version of the story you hear, sometimes she's lost her husband, sometimes she's lost her children, sometimes it's some version of both. So, this is probably the most recognized story version. So not too long ago, a woman named Maria married a rich man with whom she eventually had two children. Then shit starts going downhill. Her and her husband are hitting a rough patch. He's never home when he is, he's only concerned with the kids. And so she's feeling, you know, left out and ignored. And eventually she finds out that he's cheating on her with another woman. So she's shocking, fucking pissed, right? (laughs) Also shocking. But she drowns her two children and then immediately regrets it. And so she starts crying and screaming, ah, mis hijos, which is like, oh, my children. Part of the story is then she drowns herself. But again, there's different versions. So when she goes to heaven, of course, they're like, sorry, you can't come in. So (laughs) they banish her. (laughs) You killed your children. Uh, So they banished her back to purgatory on earth until she can find her lost children. So while she's in that lost purgatory state, she's known as La Llorona. A lot of legends say that you can find her over and near bodies of water and she's wearing her white funeral gown and she's forever crying as she's searching for her lost children. Um, Some versions of the story say she kidnaps or attacks children. Others say she attacks cheating husbands, which makes more sense to me, but whatever. Uh, Either way, if you hear her crying, run the hell away. Wait, didn't you say this was at a ski resort? This part now. Oh, I'm like, so that- she killed her kids and then went skiing. I need some <laughs> correlation here. Uh, no. So, but this is like a, um, 
South American story, La Llorona. Okay. So La Parva is a ski resort in the Chilean Andes. And instead of Maria, this whaling woman is named Lola. The kind of crazy thing about this is it's like an urban legend. So everybody swears that they knew her before she died. And like a, a local restaurant owner swears he used to date her. And this story comes from a pro skier named Drew Tabkey. And he says that he heard it from the ski patroller that the ski patroller points to like the exact hut where this place, where it takes place. So everybody in this town swears that it happened and they knew her and whatever. And they left the hut up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was somebody's like house. So got it. Unlike most scary stories, this story starts on a nice day. It's the middle of ski season. Lola and her young son are planning to spend their day up on the ski slopes. Apparently, this is a common occurrence in the Andes. I've never been there. So a thick fog rises up. And that's usually um, a warning that there's going to be a big, huge storm coming. They're like in the fog. They can't see anything. And so they're trying to get down from the top of the mountain. And they lose contact with each other. So desperate to find her son, Lola begins screaming his name as she's running through this like thick fog. She can't see shit. So she trips, goes down this like embankment. But luckily, one of the lift operators was coming back to his cabin when he found her body. And he was afraid she was dead. But on closer inspection, he found that she was like just barely alive. And she's all cut up from the rocks and beat to shit. And the only word she says in the littlest tiny whisper was her son's name. So the lift operator is like, very carefully trying to get her to his cabin because it was just up the hill from where he finds her and he bandaged her cuts as best as he could and then he was like okay hang out I'm gonna go grab the doctor and we'll get you you know off the mountain to the hospital whatever well by the time him and the doctor finally get their way up there the bed's empty there's some blood on the sheets from where she was laying and that's it she was gone so the interesting thing is the the professional skier that tells this story, he doesn't believe in ghosts, but he says that there's something different when he comes to Chile each winter. Maybe it's the fact that from the ski resort, you can see up to Cerro El Plomo, which was an Incan child sacrifice site, which I'm like, that's fucking scary. Um, but when he sits <laughs> in his, right? They're like, yeah, that's where they threw their kids off. It's <laughs> just gonna leave this up for tourists (laughs) but he swears when he's sitting alone in his cabin with the wind whipping and you know his candles flickering he says he can hear her screaming and so neither the woman or her son were ever found but locals report hearing her will for her child whenever they're near that lift operator's cabin and if you find yourself up on the mountain and the storm's coming you have to watch out for her you'll hear her screaming and that is La Llorona from the ski resort. That's creepy, right? What is it with like crazy mothers wanting to drown their children? Like, I don't know. Really terrifying I, as a small child to be like, don't piss off your mom. She's going to drown you. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. It's one of those urban legends and it's actually a warning to the children. I mean, maybe. All right. What's your ghost story for us? So my story is pretty interesting. 
And there's going to be, there's a couple parts to, to this story. So have you ever heard of La Villisca Axe Murderer House in Villisca, Iowa? Uh, Axe Murderer House? I think I have, but I can't. Okay. I can't quite remember. So that's awesome. Okay. So there is a place in Villisca, Iowa called the Axe Murder House. And this is the site of a gruesome unsolved murder from 1912. There were six children and two adults who had their skulls completely crushed in by the handle of an axe by an unknown perpetrator. Um, We're going to talk about that a little bit first. So the uh, axe murder house was just a was just a regular house um, in the early turn of the century, and a man named Josiah and his wife lived there with their three sons and their one daughter. And on this particular evening, the the night of June 9th, nineteen twelve, Josiah Moore and his wife took their family and they attended an evening church service. And on the way home, they were accompanied by two friends of their daughters who were going to spend the night, which I really thought, like, how sweet that there's sleepovers in the 1900s. <laughs> except for the fact that they're in the axe yeah, murder yeah, house. Yeah, so except for that. Well, it wasn't an axe murder house yet. Yeah. It was just, it was just a yes. friend's house. Uh, on this night... They were all sleeping. The mother, Josiah and his wife were in their room. Their three sons shared a room. Daughter had a separate room. And then the two friends, we, they were in a room downstairs. Around seven o'clock in the morning, the neighbor noticed that the house was really kind of unusually quiet. There wasn't anybody rustling around. So she called Josiah's brother who came over, unlocked the house and found all of his relatives killed in the night. The interesting thing about this murder and why it wasn't solved, um, besides being committed in 1912, was that all of the doors and windows were locked. All but two of the windows had coverings on them, and there was no indication that anybody had broken in. So this was kind of like a real, you know, murder mystery back in the day. They obviously, um, there was an investigation. They did try to find the person, but there was nothing conclusive. You know, there wasn't like standard police procedure. So when the brother-in-law and the neighbor, you know, kind of opened the house and found this, like everybody came running to the house to kind of check out what happened. So like the people in that town. Yeah, the people of the town, like there's just, you know, over 100 people just kind of like hanging out, seeing what happened, you know, wanting to see the dead bodies kind of thing. Can you imagine? Like, that's freaking ridiculous. No, it's, yeah, that's ridiculous for sure. (laughs) So the interesting thing that they did find, the investigators found, were that there were gouge marks across the bedroom ceiling from, they're saying, the upswing of the axe, but the marks were not over the beds where the people were actually murdered. They were kind of in the middle of the room. So at this point, they thought that, okay, this is like the killer's kind of 
having like a, he's just like whirling the axe around in a frenzy of excitement, you know, as he's in the middle of the room. So weird. Yeah. Like your murder dance before you. Oh, of course. How could I forget the murder dance? Right. But also how tall is this guy? I mean, I know ceilings were shorter, but like you're sitting here hitting the roof every time and getting your fucking axe stuck. That sounds not a good idea. It may be. Uh, Yeah. I don't, yeah. Right. Like probably had to yank it out of there a couple of times. So the bodies of Lena and Ina Stillner, who were the Stillinger, sorry, Stillinger, were, they were the two friends. They were discovered in the downstairs bedroom. And there was a kerosene lamp at the end of 12-year-old Lena's bed. It was the only bed that kind of indicated that maybe somebody had stopped or, you know, that somebody was there. Um, Lena was the only one that seemed to have uh, suffered a sexual assault. And she was also the only one with defensive wounds. So the investigators at the time believed that she was the only member of the house who attempted to fight off the attacker, which kind of also fed into the um, maybe the sexual assault. So she was awake when it happened. Yeah. Or awoken to the sexual assault and then was fighting. Right. Exactly. So there there have been tons of books and documentaries that have chronicled the murders. And then, you know, for a long time, this house was just kind of that was a local story. But it has really become, you know, quite the paranormal mecca. You know, if anybody is a paranormal investigator or you're just really interested in ghosts, a lot of people go to this house. You can spend the night there. Um, It was actually purchased, I believe, back in let me just double check, uh, early 2000s. And the owners um, actually, oh, sorry, it was bought in 1994. And they actually restored it to its original condition. So they stripped the place of electricity and plumbing and turned it back like into the original house. And you can stay the night there. It costs about 450 bucks a night to stay. Without electricity, no thanks. You could have <laughs> at least let us have lights. And an indoor bathroom, because fuck that, I'm not using the outhouse either. Right, well. For 450 bucks, no. No, thank you. Yeah, I guess basically you're just paying that much to be scared, because the um, the new owner, the, the woman that's owned it since the 90s, has said that, you know, pretty much everybody that's ever stayed there has experienced something, either noises, or they hear, you know, kind of kids crying out, or like the thump, thump of the the axe hitting the people. So, right. This has definitely been a thing. This is already, you know, this is already a a whole story in and of itself. But in November of 2014, the haunting kind of took a different turn. So Robert Lawrenson from Wisconsin, he was a recreational paranormal investigator. He just had a lot of friends that he enjoyed, you know, kind of investigating haunted houses with, they found him. So they, they went to the house. They decided that they're going to spend a night at the house around 1245 in the morning, which is approximately the same time that the 1912 ax murderers happened. Larson's companions that he were, was with got a phone call from him They couldn't make it out. They ran down to the room that he was staying in and they found him stabbed in the chest. Was the knife still there? Yes. So apparently this is a self-inflicted wound. What? Right. Exactly. And he died? 
No, he actually, he didn't die. He has recovered from his injuries, but he has never publicly spoken about what has occurred. What the fuck? Yeah. So. That's kind of scary. You just, oh, shit for myself. Exactly. Again, who wants to stay there? <laughs> Yay. Exactly. So there wasn't a whole lot. Um, Vice actually did an article um, about this incident that had happened. And the owner of the house at the time, uh, her name was Martha Lynn. I believe she might still own the house. Um, you know, she said that nothing like this had ever happened before, that she had opened the house up because she really wanted people to experience, you know, the paranormal, um, you know, maybe even have people come in that would be able to put these ghosts to rest. And that, you know, nothing like this had ever happened before. Yeah, so Lawson did, and, you know, he did survive, but he's never publicly come out. He's never talked about what's happened. Neither has his um, companions or any of the doctors. That is the story of the Axe Murder House. And should you go and stay there, you very well may be stabbed. That's super scary. But also it's worse because it was self-inflicted. So like the ghost possessed him? Well, it appeared to be self-inflicted. Ooh, that's a good point. I didn't think of that, but also very scary. Right. So it, I think it's totally like, isn't it totally possible that this guy, I mean, I don't know who stabs himself in the chest though. That's hard. Like your breastbone is there. Like that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it would be pretty difficult. And his room was locked. All the windows were locked just the way that the original 1912 murder happened. That's crazy. That's super interesting. Guess where we're going to spend my 40th birthday. <laughs> God, I told you, I need electricity. And where was this, you said? Iowa. Iowa. Yeah, we're not going to Iowa. That sucks. <laughs> Unless you live there, in which case, yay, Iowa. I've never been Same. there. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was just a, a very interesting story because it not only has, you know, it's a ghost story in and of itself, but then not even that long ago, you know, it kind of almost recreated itself. Did the owner have anything to say about that? Like when the guy stabbed himself or whatever? Yeah, she she said um, that it was the incident was, of course, incredibly upsetting and that although, you know, it was publicity, it wasn't the kind of publicity that she really desired to have. She um, a direct quote from her is, I don't want people thinking that when they come to the Villisca Axe murder house, something's going to happen that's going to make them do something like that. I mean, yeah, we don't want you to do that. Well, I mean, it's bad for business, right? Or it's the opposite, <laughs> and that's even worse, I think. But, I mean, who knows? I think sometimes paranormal investigators or, or ghost hunters, I mean, if you're not seeing what you want to see, like, are you disrupting these spirits? Are you purposely being disrespectful? Are you start, like, you're trying to piss them off for shock value? Yeah, like you're trying to get something, you know, to, to benefit you, but, you know, maybe it just was the wrong thing. Obviously, because he's never talked about it. Nobody really knows. But I think you have to be careful. You have to be careful with those entities, especially ones that, that feel like poltergeisty, right? That can move objects and that have kind of more substance than other kinds of spirits. Right? Be careful what you're fucking around with. You piss somebody off and they'll exactly. stab you. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> All right. You got another one for us? So... This one is all about the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. 
Yay. Um, so they actually, they're not doing them this year because COVID, but they do tours and things all through October. And actually me and my oldest son, Blake, we actually went there last year and it was like, I just came up on my Facebook memories. I think it was yesterday. So one year ago, yesterday, we went here. Oh, so fun. I remember when you told me about this. Yes. So uh, Lake Shawnee is in West Virginia and the road that leads to the lake is super easy to miss. And many drive by it on their first visit, which I can attest to. We literally drove past and then tried to make a U-turn on like literally the smallest fucking road ever. So yeah, it is very easy to miss. They don't have signs up. It's like a gravel driveway with a gate. It was crazy. Oh, I love it. So the lake itself is small and it's not really a lake and families don't vacation there. They don't spend, you know, a warm summer's day swimming, but Lake Shawnee is a tourist destination all the same. So it is on that land that Mitchell Clay, he was Mercer County's first white settler and him and his family made their home there in 1775. They had like 14 kids. They had 800 acres. Wow. Right? I'm like, that's so big. That's why you need 14 kids. Somebody's got to work the land. Yeah. (laughs) So they had lived there for eight years and Shawnee Indians come to his house and they kill two of his children and they capture a third and they take him with them and they end up um, burning him at the stake. So what, what was uh, the Shawnee Indians are always portrayed as like being so angry, mean bully Indians. Like I'm just very interested in what they're tribal. Like I'm, I'm going to have to do some research on my own, but like, why are they killing people? All this right, and it sounds so <laughs> unprovoked, which is probably bullshit too. Absolutely. You're right. So the dad Mitchell gets a bunch of people together and they're going to chase them down. They didn't get to these, uh, this native group. Until they got to Ohio. I'm terrible with geography, but I'm pretty sure it's quite a far away from West Virginia. But a little bit in the, in a, what is that? North? And west. Northwest. <laughs> Between the two of us, we might figure it out. We're from California. Everything besides that. Yeah. <laughs> we know nothing besides that. Um, so they tracked them all the way to Ohio. And like I said, his son had already been burned at the stake. So they kill any of the natives that they find there. That kind of sucked, right? That land has two kids killed. It's already kind of angry. So then in the 1920s, a businessman, and then in the 1920s, a businessman brought the property so that he could build an amusement park. So the current owner is Chris White, and he has done a ton of research since his family purchased the property in 1986, but they don't really know a lot about the early years of the park. So in around the mid forties is when it opened and it was open during the forties, fifties, and sixties. And they had a cement swimming pond with a bathhouse in front of it. And this is fucking disgusting, but apparently it was like, the thing to do they rented bathing suits for 15 cents Uh, no not even gonna happen but just wait because they're made out of fucking wool ew what (laughs) yes so again apparently that's the cool thing and you wear a wool bathing suit which is disgusting um so the swimming pond had two water slides and some diving boards 
And then beside the swimming pond, they have the lake. So there's a bunch of paddle board paddle boats in the lake. And those are still there. And I have pictures of the paddle boats. Um, they also had a speakeasy during prohibition. They had a dance hall. They were doing shit all the time. It was super popular. And it's an amusement park, right? So it has rides. It has a Ferris wheel and um, you know those swings you sit on and they like swing you in a circle? Uh yeah, that's like my favorite ride. Oh, it might not be anymore. Um, but yeah, they have those. <laughs> so despite being super popular, it was marred by tragedy. So they had two different boys um that drowned there. One was in the pond and one was in the lake. And like I said, they didn't go swimming in the lake. They were just in the boat. So he fell off the boat and somehow managed to die. Um, and then I love it when you say shit like that. What? <laughs> they somehow managed to die. Well, okay. Okay. So the pond. He obviously didn't know how to swim. <laughs> the pond and the lake are so small. Oh. Like they're little and I can't tell, but I'm at, they're not very deep either. So I don't know. It's kind of weird. I think I remember them saying something about like, he like fell out of the boat and it's cemented. So they're both man-made. So he like hit his oh. head on something and then drowned before, before they could find his body in the water too. You know what I mean? Like as soon as he fell out, they were like, oh shit, let's grab him. I just think you're okay. fine. Well, thank you. I think so too. Um, <laughs> but it was the 1966 death of a young girl on the swings that led to Lake Shawnee's closure. Oh no, did she fall out? Oh no, it's worse than that. So she's on the swings, it's spinning around, and the coat guy comes in to deliver drinks to the speakeasy. He gets back in his truck to leave and he goes to back out and doesn't realize that he's in the path of the swing. So the next time the swing swings around, this poor little girl whacks the side of his truck and dies. What the fuck? I told you it's terrible. Yes. That is, move your fucking van, you dickwad. That's awful. It's so awful. Yeah. And I'm sure the truck driver felt like shit. Oh, that's the thing too. Now that I mention it, I think it was his first time delivering there. Like the normal delivery guy wasn't there. So this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing, but yeah, so she dies. What a, what a bad first day, right? And that was when he quit and never went back or I don't know. That's what I imagine. So by the sixties, the park became an abandoned place that just seemed doomed. And like I said, they closed because of all the deaths. They just leave it to rot essentially. Um, they tried selling off some of the rides and to make a little bit of money, but pretty much everything's just abandoned. So in the 1980s, uh, Chris White's family, so it was his, um, his now deceased father, Gaylord, he had worked in the park when he was a, like a teenager, right? So he was like, well, let's, I could do it. Let's reopen and make it an amusement park again. Like I said, they had sold off a lot of the like rides and stuff to try and make a little bit of money before they, you know, abandoned it. But the whites decided that the swings and the Ferris wheel were the rides that would bring Lake Shawnee back. That would help revive the amusement park. And because they were such the, you know, the iconic picture of this lake and amusement park. So they went and bought a new Ferris wheel. And here's like a crazy story. Like this is batshit crazy. 
So they're looking for like those old fashioned slings and they found them in New Jersey. So they load them all up, bring them back. And then when they get back to West Virginia, they look at the serial numbers and realize it's the exact same fucking swing set that was there. No way. Yes, like, right. It's crazy. So yeah. So that exact same swing set is still there. I sent that shit back. <laughs> right. They're cursed. Get rid of it. Yes, find me another set of swings. Right? This is the 80s. Get a new one. Well, first off, too, that shit was from, like, the 40s. Like, do you do you think it's very safe? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's so crazy. Although, you know those little, like, circuses that, like, come to town or whatever? Like, those rides are from the fucking 40s. Like, those the ones that were safe. always the Parkway Plaza, like, the back corner of the party yeah. lot. Yeah. You'll die if you go on those rides. Don't do it. <laughs> That's so, so they kept the swings. Yes. Like it's kind of cool, but then it's also really creepy. Yes, exactly. So with those rides, they added some more like kitty rides. Um, they got new paddle boats for the lake. They got bumper boats. They made this big stage for entertainment. July 4th weekend in 1987, they had bands that played there 24 hours a day. They wanted this amusement park to be accessible to we're in West Virginia. So there's farmers and, you know, poor people. So admission was only a dollar. Chris White says he thinks that they had like 10,000 people that weekend. I mean, it's 4th of July weekend, right? That's what you do. You go out and do fun things. So, but after all kinds of fun shit (laughs) on haunted swings. Um, but after about three years, insurance rates are through the roof, probably because hello, you have a history of killing people. And so they closed the amusement park. And like I said, they have that lake still and it's not huge, but they start stocking it with fish and they have like fishing tournaments. And then they do like different kinds of events on the property to try and make money because they own all this land and there's nothing going on. Oh, your amusement park failed. How shocking. Like, I mean, that sounds hard. Like, who wants to run an amusement park? But way to pivot. Way to pivot with the fish championship fishing. That's going to save it. <laughs> and they had, like, bands. Come on. So more weird shit. So they are deciding that they're going to take, because they own, like, a ton of acres, too. I don't think it's 800, but they have, like, a lot. So they decide that another way to make money is to, like, clear a piece of land for mud bogging. I don't know what that is. I'm not from West Virginia. I don't know what that is either. All right. Drive around West in the Virginians, mud. Tell us, <laughs> tell us what mud, mud bogging. Yeah. So this is, right, the, tell us what that is. Yeah, this is the early nineties. So as they start bulldozing this area, they start finding Native American artifacts. So they're pulling out pieces of arrowheads and pottery and like pots and all kinds of stuff. So they're like, okay, maybe we should stop digging with a fucking bulldozer. And they decided to get an, I guess, an archaeologist to come out. They had a group of people from Marshall University, and they actually spend several years here going through their land. They find um, tons and tons of artifacts, and then they start finding graves. Like marked graves? Like graves. Unmarked. Like holes, holes with people in them. Yes. They're just digging through the dirt, and then they start hitting Okay. 
this is what Chris uh, White says on the tours. So we stopped digging when they started finding kids' graves, he says. Um, that team of experts estimate that there are 3,000 bodies buried there. Um, the only thing that they can figure is that way before the 1700s, when the, um, the guy Marshall started his land, his family, they settled there, that some kind of flu or disease came through their, the Shawnee Indian population that was living there. And in order to protect their tribe, they left the kids and the elderly there pretty much to just die slash they already probably had mostly died. Most diseases hit the old and the young pretty hard. Hey, thanks, white people. Right? We gave them fucking smallpox. Um, but that's what they think wiped out this Shawnee tribe, specifically there in West Virginia. You have all these deaths. Oh, also, before I forget, they went and reburied everybody that they found. They reburied? Like, they just they put just, some more dirt? Yes. They were like, we ain't <laughs> fucking with that, and just dumped dirt back on top of them. You know that, like, but can you just do that? Like, don't you have to like notify somebody? I don't know. Like, but also, I think it would have been worse if you fucked with them and like moved them. Oh, true story, right? For sure. So I think it was the lesser of two evils. They were like, just kidding. Okay, we'll leave you alone. Bye. They have all these deaths. They have all these haunted stories. So they're super popular with all of those like ghost hunter shows. So here's one of those weird stories. Uh, the Discovery Channel came out to film, um, like I said, one of those ghost stories. And he said that one of the investigators went in. It's an old ticket booth. And she's in there and you just push the door open to come out. She's sitting there pushing on it, banging on it, screaming. She becomes hysterical. She can't get out. And then finally she screams and yells and then the door just opens. That's horrifying. Literally, it was so bad. She went to the hospital. Like, she freaked out so much that, like, it affected her physically and she couldn't breathe. And just, it was a nightmare. And I have a picture from inside that, fo- that, uh, that booth. The ticket booth. Did you stand in the booth yeah. when you were there? And we shut the door. Did you close the door? Yeah, nothing happened. Nothing happened. I made Blake like, stand Obviously, in the- you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually a ghost. And what had happened was... <laughs> No, but I made Blake stand in there with me because he'd be the one that would like hold the fucking door shut until I freaked out. So I was like, no, you're coming in here too. He would totally do that too. <laughs> yes, but also safety and numbers, like both of us are in there. Uh, White says that he can hear the wooden swings creak at night. Oh, that's the other thing too. So the family residence is like right there in the middle. Like they are like, I don't even know maybe a quarter of a mile away from like the ferris wheel like they are like super super close their houses are just like right there so they closed down the amusement park and then they're like well i guess we'll live here since we bought all this land and they might have lived there when the amusement park was open too but just right smack dab in the middle of the the whole thing it's so weird because they are like right there and then like all the stuff is to the right but yeah that is weird (laughs) yeah they can hear i mean they're so close so he can hear like the swings creaking, even though there's not any wind. He says that sometimes the seat will start to move underneath your hand until you feel cold air blowing through the seat. But then when you get to the middle, you feel something warm. And he says they believe that's that little girl's spirit. White has said, yeah, splattered to the chair. That, that makes sense. She had a pink dress on. So 
White says he saw her and her dress was covered in blood. And she looked at me and he said, as long as I kept looking at, as long as she kept looking at me, I couldn't move. He said his father, who's now deceased, he was the one who originally bought it and wanted to reopen the amusement park. And he says, you know, dad was on the tractor mowing the fields and he kept feeling something weird on his shoulders, like a weight almost. And he didn't know what it was. And this goes on for like weeks, months. Like he just keeps having this weird feeling when he's out there on the tractor. And so finally, one day he turns around and it's that little girl. And he said she was in a ruffled dress and she had just appeared. And he said he wasn't scared, but the, <laughs> this guy's crazy. But the only thing he could think of was, well, if you like this tractor so much, I'm going to give it to you. And literally parked that tractor in the middle of the fucking field and just left it sitting there since like 98. It's still there. I'm pretty sure I took a picture of it too. Yeah, it's just chilling right there. She, she was just looking at you, bro. She didn't say, hey, give me that tractor. But also I'm like, so you have this abandoned amusement park and you're not making any money and you're like, oh, it's fine. We can just give up this fucking tractor. Here's a $60,000 tractor. I'm just going to leave here to rot. Have fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously money was not necessarily an issue here, yeah. which, you know, is what it is. But, but still. Yeah. Seems pretty frivolous. Um, a ton of visitors. Um, that come to the like I said they do tours in October people have reported that they've seen like small children so if you brought your kids with you they've seen the kids like running around and playing and talking to someone only they can see and they've had a couple kids here they're like oh what are you doing who are you playing with and they're like oh I don't know it's this girl she has that pink dress on right there don't you see her of course they freak out their parents and shit that are standing there that's that's super wow. creepy to me. I'm like, uh, that is super creepy. I'm gonna have to come back to visit so we can go there. Yeah, like I said, they're not open this year. Um, well, granted, fucking Halloween's in like four days, but um, but yeah, next year we'll have to go again. You can actually camp there. So when we went, they give you a tour, and so they take you over to the site where they had done all the the like digging and the excavating where they found all the remains and the stuff. And they have like this little display set up about the Shawnee Indians and they have um, pictures from when they were out there digging and they have a bunch of the artifacts that they kept, stuff like that. And then they take you around by where the rides are and they like tell you the stories and they tell you all over the park they have those little like pinwheels and they say that like, if they're moving, that means the spirit's there. And, and, you know, if it's not windy, of course, but so like, they're like all over. So you can see like nothing's moving. And then there's that spinning or I can't remember exactly, but something about like, it's yes or no answers. So like, if you ask her a question and it spins left, that's a yes. Or if it spins right, that's a no. So they have those all around. And then after they give you that talk, they kind of just let you go. And so they have like a, we were there at like five in the afternoon and I think it was at like seven or eight, they actually have like a haunted, um, like a haunted house. So you can pay extra for that. And like at night there's people in there and it's all dark and you like go through it and whatever, but we could go through it. Just, there was nobody in there. So Blake and I are like walking through and it's like weird because it's, it was like cold and kind of overcast and it was like five o'clock. So it gets dark at like six 30. 
And so there's not lights in there, but like it wasn't pitch black. And you just kind of, we just walked around and then we got to this one room and it was actually like, like a tractor trailer, but like it was empty inside and they had like backed it up into, so it was almost like its own room and it was covered with like kids toys and shit. And literally I took one step in there and like, nope. And and Blake and I left and I was like, yeah, hard pass. I'm not going in there. creepy yeah it was super creepy and then we just kind of walked around and like we went by the lake again and there was actually people who were setting up their camp their tent and you can just camp wherever you want so they had decided to camp like right next to the lake so that they have like at least a pretty view or whatever but I was like that would be super fun to just go and okay we'll camp here overnight but also terrifying also camping one night okay we get there at six o'clock at night and we get up in the morning so it wouldn't be terrible i'll camp with you at the shawnee graveyard if you come stay at the axe murder house with me i'll think about it (laughs) (laughs) with the deaths of her husband and her oldest son jewel white so that's the mom she wasn't sure how she could continue to run like shawnee so then she gets her son chris so her and Chris, along with a ton of volunteers, they take care of the property, they give tours, they answer calls, they have a website. And in 2014, they kind of did a change because before it was more campfire tales and stuff like that. But now they went and they call it the dark carnival, scary clowns. And like I said, they have that haunted house and stuff. So She says that she was worried that her husband and her oldest son might not be happy with the changes that they made um, because they were both very, I don't know, type A. They didn't like changes. They had it set the way they wanted it. And they were like, no, this works. We'll just keep doing it. So she was worried that, you know, they might be upset. They have like security cameras around and they have this old bus. And I can't remember why the bus ended up being parked there. It was like a family friend of theirs had been like living in the bus, hashtag bus life. (laughs) And it like died or something. So they just left it there. So they were in the bus one night and they were taking pictures. Apparently her son used to work in the bus. It was like an office. They capture a picture in there. She says that that picture is her son and he's saying, yeah, it's okay. And then they have this video of the Ferris wheel. Like I said, it's a video and you can see in the video that it unclips and then completely opens up like somebody's going to sit down before they get on the ride. And she says that was her husband because he was always very particular about the Ferris wheel. And so every night before they would go to bed, he'd walk around, he'd make sure they were all locked. She's decided that that's him telling her it's okay and that she can keep running things the way she wants to, which I was like, he's fucking dead. Who cares what he wants? Too late now. Oh my God. It's mine now, bitch. And she says that it made her happy. She says, I'm just so glad to know that they're here, even though I, I already knew it myself. Um, but now she has like that proof that she can prove it to others. So like I said, all the paranormal investigators have come to this abandoned amusement park and Travel Channel named it one of the most terrifying places in America. So some of the shows they were on 
the scariest places on earth. And that was in 2002. And then they were in a five part episode of the most terrifying places in America that was on the travel channel in 2010. In 2019, they were featured in a haunted locations on the TV, on the paranormal TV series, most terrifying places. So apparently they like revisited it nine years later and redid a special on them. They were also in the TV show, The Unexplained, which came out in 2019 on the History Channel. Have you ever watched the Jack Osborne supernatural show? I think it's called Portals to Hell, or that was what the episode was called. Jesus Christ. No, I've never seen that. (laughs) So this was in 2021, and the episode I think is called Portals to Hell. And Jack Osborne is the host and they go and explore and find things. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But also it's kind of interesting that the episode was called Portals to Hell and it sounds all demonic. When when you go on the tour, they're like, no, the ghosts are happy and everything's fine and they're not scary. And I'm like, yeah, but what about the natives that you fucked over and (laughs) stole their land from? I'm sure they're still pissed off. And trying to dig them up. Maybe they really appreciate the plaque, like that witch. <laughs> Maybe they just put a plaque up and they're like, oh, okay, good. You know, I'm here. It's all you good. know what's funny? I forgot too. So for the two boys that were killed way back when they first settled it, they legit have like a little plaque. <laughs> and I think they found their graves and they moved them too. Like back when they first, like in the 40s. But Yeah, there's all kinds of plaques. So like I said, I have tons of pictures from when we were here. So I'll make sure I post all those because it was pretty fun. Super fun. I want to see that video of the Ferris wheel and clipping itself. They show it. Like they have like an iPad and he's like, here, you can watch it. I bet I could find it on YouTube somewhere. Because before we had even went, Blake had been like scouring YouTube. And so he knew like all of these stories before we even went, which I thought was kind of interesting. But yeah that's totally your kid I know right <laughs> <laughs> so that is Lake Shawnee the abandoned amusement park good I'm so glad that you that you talked about that yeah it was super fun I want to go because travel channel is part of discovery plus isn't it I should go see if I can I think so this is 2019 so most terrifying places I'll have to go look that up awesome well we do have a little uh a little bonus episode coming out on Halloween which is Monday Sunday 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 (laughs) yeah be sure to check that out and what are we talking about next week you know what I'm not sure I think I think we should keep it a surprise all right well you can check us out online at twogirlsandacampfire.com we're on Facebook and Instagram um go check out Instagram I'll go post some of these pictures for you you can email us at two girls in a campfire at gmail. We'll see, see you around, around the campfire. campfire.